You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Give your Bibles today. I invite you to open your Bible as we continue this James series. We're going to be looking at James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at probably one of the most familiar passages and often one of the greatest criticisms for those that, that, that proclaim to be a follower of Christ, is it deals with being not just a hearer of God word, God's word, but also being a doer of God's word. James chapter 1. So I'm going to dive into it because I believe the Lord has a lot to speak to us this morning. Are you ready to receive from the Lord today? So Father, as we read your word and as we dive in, Lord, we know that it lights our path. It shows us where to go. But Lord, we also know that your desire is that your word would be implanted in our hearts to strengthen us, to bring about growth, that we wouldn't just be people that speak about it, but we would be men and women who do what you've called us to do. Lord, you have a lot for us to accomplish. So Lord, empower us today and speak to us as we now receive from your word. Amen, amen. amen. Are you there? James chapter 1. And we're focusing on verses 19 through 27. 19 through 27. And here's what James says. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. In verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans, and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the word. So as we look at this word today, one of the big things that we see in this is this word listen. Everyone say listen. Listen, Listen, okay? One of the things James is trying to tell us is he's saying listen. And he's speaking to a group of people, Jewish Christians, that are under severe persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They're persecuted. They're dispersed. They're being spread out because they're being attacked. Many of them are experiencing severe poverty. They're poor because of their, of, of their choice of faith. And even their opportunity has been taken away from them. So James is coming to them and he's speaking to them. And one of the biggest things he's trying to teach them is he's trying to teach them how to live in community with each other because we need each other, don't we? Don't we need each other? Let me say this. I need you. I need you. I need my community. I need people around me to love me, to support me, to encourage me, to correct me, to help me in the things of, of Christ as I go forward. And James is looking at them and he's saying, you know what? God is preparing you and he's going to be using you to establish his kingdom, his new covenant, his gospel. And to do that, you need to know how to be together. You need to know how to have community together because it is needed. 
And he's also saying that being doers of God's word, it begins by focusing here. You want to be a doer of God's word? You need to know how to do community together. And this is something that we need to not miss today. We can never underestimate the importance of loving your neighbor, right? Loving your neighbor. It says in the word of God that how can you love the one you haven't seen? How can you love God if you can't love the person that you do see? Turn to someone this morning and say, I love you. (laughs) I'm looking at my wife. I love you, baby. And Pastor Steve, I love you too. (laughs) We need to love those. It is a key part of of who God is, and we need to get this. So James starts off with three quick directions for living for Christ. Directions that are for everybody. And he says this, he says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Quick to hear, but slow to speak, and slow to be angry. So let's look at that first one. He says, Be quick to hear. Now, James is not talking about just this casual conversation. Have you ever walked in on these casual conversations? And it's just, there's like chatter going on back and forth. And you have no idea if you can even get in on this conversation. Tends to be pretty casual. How's the weather? How you feeling? What's going on in your life today? Some pretty surface things, some pretty introductory things. But James is actually digging a little bit deeper than this. And he's looking at some of these personal things. The things we really care about. The things that at times we may even start to disagree about and debate about. And what James is saying here is that before we can move the conversation forward... We need to understand the situation both sides, which begins with listening. How many of you are familiar with that classic Stephen Covey book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? You're all very highly effective people here today. Seven habits. Habit five is what? Habit five says this. Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand. Seek first to understand. See, Dr. Stephen Covey, he knows the challenge. And he says that most people seek first to be understood. You may want to get your point across, but in doing so, you may ignore the other person completely, pretending that you're listening. Anybody pretending to listen right now? Selectively, you only hear only certain parts of the conversation or attentively focus on only the words that are being said, but you miss the meaning entirely. How many have been guilty of that? I've I've been guilty of that. Sorry, honey. There's... there's (laughs) There's times that we're guilty of this. Why? Because we want it to be understood. I want you to hear me, hear what I'm saying. But James is saying we need to listen. We need to be active listening this way. So why do we listen in a way where we're ignoring? Well, Stephen Covey says because most people listen with the intent to reply, not to understand. You can't wait for your chance. You're going, man, as soon as you stop talking, I want to, oh, here's what I want to say to you. I've got that intent in my heart. But here's an important truth that we need to understand for all of life. And this is behind what James is saying. He's saying that we really have nothing to say until we care enough to understand. Does that resonate with you today? That if someone's speaking to you, you want to know that they care enough to understand what you're going through. You want to know that as you have spoken, they've been listening, they've been hearing your heart. Has anyone after listening to you ever said something back to you and you went, did you even listen to me today? You know, do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Do you know what's going on here? There's some things happening. As followers of Christ, we need to intently be listening to people to understand. But more than that, we need to understand that a key to understanding is also knowing the motive. Everyone say motive. Motive. We need to know the motive. And there are two motives at play. First of all, there's the other person's motive, the person who's speaking to you. 
We need to understand why they're saying what they're saying. See, this was a tactic of Jesus, our Savior. In every conversation that he went into, people were often asking him questions because he was Jesus, the Son of God. But when you study Scripture, you you see how often Jesus went to the question behind the question. I mean, how many times did Jesus say, what you're asking is this, but what you should be asking is this. He did this often with the Pharisees. One situation was in the book of Mark where Jesus, he healed a man who had a withered hand. And he healed it on the Sabbath. And in Jewish law, you weren't supposed to do any healing on the Sabbath. But Jesus addressed them and he addressed them to their motive. And he's like, what's your motive here? On the Sabbath, should someone live or should they die? On the Sabbath, should they be healed or should they remain sick? See, what Jesus is saying is, you miss the entire motive. You ask this, but where's your heart? Is your heart really for that person? If your heart's for that person, we heal them. We pour into them. We love them. See, it's important to know the other person's motive, what's happening, but it's also important to know your own motive. When you're listening to someone, is your motive to be an agent of healing and reconciliation? Is your, is your whole motive when you're standing before somebody to actually love your neighbor? That needs to be our motive when we're listening to someone, that we're listening for the purpose of healing, of reconciliation, saying, God, what would you have me do? That's why James says that we need to remove one of the biggest obstacles to hearing when he says to put away all filthiness. See, in order to be a good listener, we have to put away all the filthiness and what James calls the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, the word of God, which is able to save your souls. See, this is God's motive in us, to plan his word in us, to let it be alive, to let it be living. So in every situation, we recognize that we have been sent there by God. Does God make any accidents? No. God has placed you there intentionally. And even when I've made missteps, even when I've made accidents, God's sovereignty has put me in places anyway to say, you know what, Dwayne, I'm going to be there and I'm just going to walk you up and put you here because I don't want you to miss this. We need to recognize in every situation, God is there to use us. So we need to be slow to listen in order to do that. But secondly, James says, we need to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Now, why should we be slow to speak? You know, as a kid growing up, I had a massive speech impediment. That meant I stuttered a lot as a kid. Now, imagine a kid. I was the last of eight kids, had five older sisters who were professional speakers. (laughs) And I say that with a good motive, good heart. But I was a massive stutter. I couldn't get a word out. I mean, really bad. Like my, I had a friend named Daryl and be Daryl. I would play Russian roulette with my words where I would hear a word in my head and go, I can't get that out. And so I was like a thesaurus inside trying to get there. Any of you ever struggled with that? It's amazing that I'm speaking in front of you today when I think about it. I had a massive problem with it. I was very slow at speaking, not because I was trying to obey James, but because I had a hard time with it. But see, we need to be encouraging in this place where he's not saying don't speak. He's saying be slow to speak because speaking is where we can do the most damage. And see, anytime that there's a great potential for damage, 
the more caution and the more training we need to use, don't we? Think about a doctor. A medical doctor has great potential to bring healing and great potential to bring a lot of disaster. That's why doctors put a lot of time and a lot of money in med school. Because they're training, because they know that they're literally holding lives in their hands. Some other people who hold lives in their hands are student drivers. They put... <laughs> and I have some great student drivers in my family, so... But we invest in them, don't we? Because if we're going to hand over a car to somebody, we're like, you need to know what you're doing. You need to know how to drive. You need to know. So we invest. We have these tests in place because there's great potential. And all the more so with how we speak. See, words carry weight. Proverbs 18 says this. This is from the Message Bible. It says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Isn't that true? The power of words in our life. That's why it says in Ephesians to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may be grace to those who hear. And Jesus even said that on the day of judgment that every word that we say will be weighed. Every word that we will have to give an account for every careless word that we speak. In Matthew 12, he says, for by your words you will be justified And by your words, you will be condemned. It's pretty serious, isn't it? One of the Proverbs that has often been spoken to me is, you know, Dwayne says in Proverbs that even a fool who is quiet is thought to be wise. (laughs) So, amen? Amen. Okay? Words carry weight. That's why we need to use wisdom. This is what James is saying here. When he says be slow to speak, he's saying slow down. Think about it before you speak. Think about what's going on. And when we think about wisdom, wisdom requires seeking God because God is the only one who has full perspective. So when we're thinking about what to say, shouldn't we consult God who knows everything, who sees all things, and who's there with that heart and that motive? So slow down. Slow down. Seek God. And as we slow down and we use that wisdom, we also need to be aware before we speak that we all have certain biases, don't we? We all have certain biases, and we need to recognize that and to be aware of it because when we speak, we often speak out of our own context because that's what we know. Dr. Stephen Covey, again, in that same book, he says this. He says that you filter everything you hear through your life experiences, through your frame of reference. You check what you hear against your own autobiography, and you see how it measures up. And he continues by saying, consequently, you decide prematurely what the other person means before he or she even finishes communicating. How many of you have been guilty of that? Or how many of you have been a victim of that before? (laughs) We filter through our own context. That's why we need the Lord in us, his Holy Spirit, to come in, to cleanse us, to help us, to give us right perspective in things because he's the only thing. See, God is our judge, not us. And even of yourself. God is the one who looks to you. God is the one who speaks to you. Because the reality is we're even poor judges of ourselves. For most of us, we're often a harder judge on ourselves, aren't we? We're going, I'm worthless. I can't. We make a mistake and we start beating ourselves up. But that's not the voice of God. So we need to realize in this that we hear with the right motive. Slow it down. Ask the Lord. Allow the Lord to speak to you. So be slow to speak, but also... We need to be slow to anger. 
Slow to anger. Isn't that a good idea? Be slow to anger. See? James is speaking to an angry crowd when he says this. So James, he didn't have the crowd that I have this morning, that they're all coffeeed up and happied up, okay? He was standing in front of a crowd. They had a lot of anger in them. They had a lot of justifiable anger in them. They were going through some hard, difficult times. And James is saying, look, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Because, see, when we are hurt or when we are threatened, fear is often the natural response to it. When someone has hurt you or when someone has done something wrong to you or you perceive that that's happening or someone's even worse threatening you by their words, fear is often a natural response. But over time, our fear will turn to anger, especially when it is triggered by something that hurt you before. Somebody says something that somebody else said who hurt you. It becomes this trigger and it starts to bring fear which turns to anger inside of you. But again, James is saying, let's slow down a little bit. Let's dial this back a little bit. Be slow to anger. And see, one of the greatest things that we can do when we're going through this process, when we're listening, we're slow to speak, but slow to anger as things are being said to us. We need to slow things down by asking questions. If you go to somebody for help, you're going through a hard time. One of the first things that a lot of people will will do when they care about you is they'll begin to ask you questions, won't they? They'll say, everything's going to be okay. Okay, Let me just ask a few questions here because I want to see your heart. One of the questions that I ask myself when I'm feeling this anger come up inside of me is I say, God, why am I feeling this? Why am I angry right now? Where's this anger coming from? See, I need to identify what is being threatened. Because sometimes it's justifiable, there's something real there, but a lot of times there's just trigger going on. And there's things that are happening that God's trying to to move in my life. And sometimes the things that are being threatened are things that I shouldn't even be caring that much about. So I need to ask myself, if I'm feeling angry and there's things coming up, you know, am I being angry because my comfort's being threatened? Am I angry because my ideology or my worldview, somebody's disagreeing with me? How dare they? Or is it my safety? What's being threatened here? What's causing this anger to come up? Because we need to ask ourselves, does the thing being threatened, does it even need to be defended? Because oftentimes in this process, God is working in our life. He's working in my life to remove the thing that is being offensive. And he's trying to bring about healing, no matter what the motive is. We talk about it all the time, that often the things that the enemy means for hurt, God can work for good in our life. If we'll allow him, we'll just pull back and say, God, what are you doing? See, when we have been hurt and broken, when we have been betrayed, the anger and the defensiveness is close to the surface. So we need to say, God, what's happening here? Because see, James is not saying never get angry. Did Jesus get angry? Yes, he did. (laughs) There are examples in Scripture of when Jesus got very angry. There are examples in Scripture of when God got very angry. But we need to recognize, and James says it here, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
There are times when this flares up, but we need to test it. And we need to know, and we need to slow down and say, God, what is it that you're doing? Because otherwise, we can start taking offense for things. We can start attacking things, and God's saying, that's not me. I'm not doing that. That happened to Peter. When Jesus was being taken away, Peter took up an offense for Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He pulled his sword and he cut off the ear of the soldier. Remember that? And maybe the people around him were like, yeah, Peter, you're getting Jesus. But what did Jesus say? He said, Peter, put away your sword. Put away your sword. This is not the time. This is not the will of the Father. Slow down, Peter. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. But see, to act in this way, we need to be good listeners where we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get anger. But in this, he's also saying that once we have heard from God, what do we need to do? We need to act. See, action is required. If you're a follower of Christ, action is one of the things that authenticate that you're actually following God. What does it say in the Old Testament? To obey is better than to sacrifice. God is after obedience. This is what it means to be a follower of him. And even Jesus said this. Jesus said this in Luke 6. And again, this is from the message version because it's just awesome. I love, I love how it says it here. Jesus said, this is in Luke chapter 6. He said, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir. That's right, sir. But never doing a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. These are foundational words, words to build a life on. What is Jesus saying? He's basically echoing what he said before, that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Have you ever received that where someone's standing in front of you going, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I'll do whatever you say, and then nothing happens. You're going, what is going on? Who are you? You're saying one thing, but you're doing something else. Why? It's not what we say, it's what we do. Now, this seems very simple, but how many realize this is very difficult to do? If you will just do what you said you will do in the culture that we are living in, you will rise as a star. (laughs) Because it's very difficult to do. Because we often overcommit and we under-deliver. And he's saying... This is not the way of a follower of Christ. Don't just be polite to me. Do what I say. See, action is a sign of life. When something is moving, when something is going, there's a sign that that life is going on. And see, we act because as James says here in verse 21, he says that God's word has been implanted in us. God's word is growing in us. It's putting down roots. It's strengthening us. God's word is transforming us and moving us to his purpose. God's word is not just directive. It's not just a good book, but it is life-changing, life-altering. I am different after God than I was before God. Still made in his image, still made for his purpose. But once God's word is in me, I'm different. And I should be. Amen? Amen. God's word should change you and transform you because it's not just about lip service. It's not just about saying things. It's not just about nodding your head, but it will move you to action. See, we know that God's word, it is an, it's even called, it's sharper than a double-edged sword where it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. 
In 2 Timothy, it says that God's word, it, the scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, everything you need. It's right here. It's better than anything. I'll spend hours online looking for an espresso manual to find out how to feather back the, 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 the throttle for it. But am I spending that time in God's word? I am. But you get what I'm saying? Everything's here. Everything's here in God's word, and it changes us. But see, he's also saying that hearing God's word, it comes with a responsibility. See, just hearing and listening is not acceptable. Truth comes with responsibility. And we know this even from the court of law that we have in this country. When you know something, but you fail to act, you can be found liable for negligence, legally. If you see something, you saw something going on, but you did not act, you can be liable for negligence because there's a duty to respond. And as it relates to God, when God speaks, it's settled, it is done, there's no debate, there's no argument. You can ask questions about how, but when God says it, he is God. He's our king. And in our culture, this seems arrogant and countercultural. And it would be if I stood up and said, when Dwayne says it, it's settled, it's done, no questions, next. That would be very arrogant, right? <laughs> hey, we need to have a vote on that guy again, okay? Let's see what's going on up there. Be very arrogant, but it's only arrogant because I'm not God. Only God gets to say that because only God is God. When God says it, it is done because he is God. He has no rival. There's no one like him. He is king. He knows. And his motive is for your best, to love you, for your very best. And he sees it all. This is why James says that a lack of response, it reflects the presence of deception. Deception. Where does deception come from? It comes from the enemy, Satan. He's the father of lies. See, as followers of Christ, when we hear God's word and do nothing, it shows that there's something wrong. What's happening here? That's why James talks about the mirror test. He says, it's like someone who looks at himself in the mirror and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, how many of you, you have a mirror in your house? <laughs> how many of you, your arm's broken today? It's hard to do. Right? We all have mirrors. You all look beautiful, so... At some point in your life, you've probably looked at a mirror, right? And we would probably do it in the morning when we get up, we're brushing our teeth, we're checking our teeth out. We go, oh man, too much coffee. We're looking at it and trying to see what's happening there. And when you, when you look at most mirrors, within close proximity are all the things to help us. Toothbrush, hairbrush, gel, hairspray. What are some other things around your mirror? Vitamins, you know. <laughs> all these things, because why? The mirror is a place that we go to check it out and go, what do I need to fix up here? What can I fix up here? Okay. What's happening up here? What's, what's going on? Very few people that I know of or that I've seen walk up to a mirror first thing in the morning and go, perfect. <laughs> Nothing to touch. My breath is perfect. Everything's good. We don't do that, do we? Because we go to the mirror to go, oh, man. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Help me to get it going on here. Okay. And so James says it's like somebody who walks away and they forget. And see, that, that word there in the Greek, forget, it actually means to neglect, that you're uncared for. So forgetting, it's not just, oh man, I totally forgot. 
He's saying, no, you've neglected it. It's like someone who's neglecting it. And because forgetting is often a sign of neglect because the things that we care about, we put time into. The things that I care about, I invest in, I put time into. Nobody has to remind me to brush my teeth since I was 10. Okay? Because I know that the consequences of not brushing my my teeth now are cavity. It took one cavity for me to go, I'm going to brush my teeth. And then as you start getting up and going into junior high, it took one person to say, man, your breath stinks. Never again. I brush my teeth. I gargle. I do all those things. When I was 10. Okay? Things that we care about, we put into it. And what James is saying here is that you use it or you lose it, so you need to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. What is James saying? He's saying that our mirror is God's word. It's God's word. Because what do we see about ourselves when we look in God's word? We begin with what we talked about. Who is God? He's our creator. And he made you in his image. Do you hear that as a mirror? And sometimes we look in the mirror and we see all this gunk and God's saying, no, I I made you in my image. Let me work on you. (laughs) Let me take off some of that stuff you've been diving into. Stay away from that. He's diving into us. The word of God says that you are a masterpiece and that his heart is to restore you, to redeem you, to pull you back. To cleanse you. We read it today opening up that we are cleansed and washed with pure water. We're washed with his blood. It's that process. So look into it. But see, when we know how God loves us, we know his motive. What stops us from acting? What stops us from, we hear his word, we know his word, we see him say, yes, God. And then we go to act and we hesitate. See, sometimes we hesitate because we've lost our hope. Hopelessness is one of our biggest challenges. Hopelessness is when we look at something, we hear it and we see it, but we think, there's nothing that I can do about what I see. God, I see it in the mirror, but there's nothing I can do about it. The hope is gone. Maybe when we look in our mirror, we see too much failure. I look in the mirror, I go, God, there's just too much to fix here. (laughs) There's too much to fix. I can't handle it. Or maybe we look in the mirror and we see the things behind us and we see all the failures. We see that there's so little success as we judge it in our life. And so our hope is gone. See, this is not God. God's saying, look into my mirror. It's not what you can do. It's what I can do in you. That's your hope. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. He's saying, cast aside every hindrance and every way. He's saying, you're not the doctor, I'm the doctor. You know, when I was thinking about, about the mirror, I was thinking about, um, about back in college. When I went to college, when I was in high school, my, I really didn't have a whole lot of acne. I thought I had a beat. And then I got to college, and the acne just went <laughs> everywhere. Really bad, cystic, bleeding, all these kind of things. Do you feel bad for me? <laughs> just terrible acne. Really gross stuff. And what, no, and what I did, instead of going to somebody to help me, I became my own doctor. I said, hey, I heard about this thing called Retin-A. I need some Retin-A. I went to a doctor, and the doctor said, I don't think Retin-A is good for you. I think you need to do something else. I was like, look, I really need this solved. I really need Retin-A. I'm hideous. Help me here. So he said, okay, I'll prescribe it to you, but I don't think it's going to work. 
He gave me Retin-A and it burned my face and it went to like the next level and getting worse and worse and worse. But when I humbled myself and I got married, (laughs) my wife said, I think you should listen to a doctor. We went to a dermatologist. The dermatologist gave me something that fixed it and it was fixed in a matter of months. Something I dealt with for years, something I tried to self-diagnose, something I tried to stay away from was fixed in a matter of months. Because I went to somebody who could help me. Somebody who wanted to help me. Now the other doctor did, but I didn't listen. Have you ever gone to the doctor and you didn't listen? Have you ever gone to God, but you didn't listen? <laughs> like, nah, it sounds good, but let me keep trying my own way. But when you listen, when you humble yourself, it comes in. Because see, my whole point in this is that sometimes we can look in the mirror and we can let all this turn into guilt. But we need to remember what it says in Romans that there is now for no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, Jesus is in the mirror with you and sometimes we don't see him. When you look in the mirror, Jesus is there saying, let me help you. Let me be with you. Let me walk with you. Let me show you. Because see, as we walk in this, we move from not just listening and not just trying to act, but now we live for him. We live for him. And James wraps up this little section here by saying, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Everyone say worthless. Worthless. Okay? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. See, James is using a word religious. And religious has a bad connotation in our culture. Have you ever walked in a coffee house and go, I'm religious. <laughs> Don't drink the coffee after you say that. Okay? Religious has a very negative. But here we need to recognize what James is saying is that religious here, it simply means someone who is surrendered to and is following God. In our culture, it's taken on the connotation that being religious means it's associated with rules and restrictions and this high moral code that no one can get to. It means that you're going to have a boring life. But that's not what it is. I remember in high school, I had some friends getting ready to go do something. Like, hey, where are you guys going? They're like, oh, you won't want to go with us. You're religious. And when they told me what it was, I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to go do that. (laughs) But we need to restore it and say, it just means someone who's a follower of Christ, someone who's been surrendered, someone who's being transformed, someone who's being transformed into life. Because see, our culture, unfortunately, it tends to focus on the bad examples of following Christ. But we need to be careful. Bad examples should never define what something is. If we allowed bad examples to define what something is, we would never fly on a plane. We'd be like, well, I saw that plane crash, so I'm never getting on a plane again. I love flying. I love planes. If we let bad examples define what it is, we would never eat food again. Because we're like, well, I heard that somebody got sick eating an apple one time, so I don't want to do that anymore. It's crazy, isn't it? But sometimes we let the bad example define what it is, and God's saying, no, you don't do that. That's not how we live. We look not at the abuse of something, but we look at how it was intended to be used for the purpose and the benefit of it. How did God mean this to be? So James outlines here who a true religious person is. Who is a true religious person, meaning a follower of God? 
First of all, he has these three things at the end. He says, one, they've got a controlled tongue because they speak as God would speak. See, our words reflect our worship. Let me say that again. Your words reflect what you're worshiping. The more that you use your mouth to praise God and to thank God and to pray over others and to encourage each other, that worship of Jesus comes out, the more it comes out. But when we use our mouth to demean other people, whether it's on social media or behind their back, we step away and we abuse the purpose that God made us for. So we say, no, true religion, it's a controlled tongue. Because when our tongue is unbridled, it shows that we have a deceived heart and it makes us worthless. Now, we make mistakes. Have you ever slipped up and said something you didn't mean or hurt somebody you didn't mean to hurt? Okay, I'm going to raise both hands. I've, I've done that. I've messed up. And James is not saying, if you've ever messed up, you're worthless. He's saying, no. The problem is when you deceive yourself and you justify it. You justify what you said on Facebook. You justify how you talked about that person behind their back. You justify those inappropriate jokes or those things that you laugh at or those things that you watch. And he's saying, that's not how God made you to be. Your words reflect your worship. And one of the biggest things that discredit us as followers of Christ and ends up reflecting how people look at God is when our words don't match up. That may be that you have to apologize for things. There's times I've said things, I'm like, hey guys, I'm sorry, I I shouldn't have said that, that was wrong. That does not reflect who God made me to be. Hear the difference? And that helps bridle your tongue. I said that to some guys I grew up with one time, I was like, I shouldn't have said that, that was wrong. And I had instant accountability then. (laughs) Because anytime I head toward like, hey, you said you weren't supposed to say that, I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's not what God would have me do. So we need to bridle our tongue one. Secondly, He outlines here, he says that true religion, true followers of Christ, they care for the poor and the marginalized. They care for the orphan. They care for the widow because this is the heart of God. And he did that to you when you were lost in your sin, when I was lost in my sin, when I was on the out. What did Jesus do? He died for me. Knowing my rejection, knowing the times I would fail, Jesus reached out to me. When we follow God, we're going to follow him to the poor and to the marginalized because that's where God is. God is everywhere, but I can tell you this. The times that I've stood in front of somebody who's been hurt and broken, marginalized, and they've been pushed out, and I've taken a minute to kneel down in front of them, to talk to them, and to do whatever, I've always sensed God there. Is God everywhere? Yes. But there are times that we sense him. When we reach out to those that God is reaching for and say, that person's hurt, that person's broken, wherever they are, whatever it is. You want to start sensing God, that awareness? You start caring for the poor and the orphan, both here as well as in Portugal or to the other most parts of the earth. Wherever you reach, whenever you do that, you can rest assured that you are enacting with God's plan. Now, the marginalized are not always poor. Some of the most marginalized and alone people that we have are are some of the wealthiest leaders that we have in this nation. And that may sound wrong, but having talked to leaders, it can be a lonely place. High criticism, low friendship, and every friend that comes to them, what's your motive? Are you just here to get? 
Marginalization knows no social or economic class. And God is saying, will you reach out to them? Will you be a part of this? Will you be true? Because see, a community that's focused on God will care for those that are in need because this is what love does. Love always expands community to bring them in and to love them. So we need to control our tongue. We need to care for those that are hurting. But then James ends it by focusing on holiness. He says that you are unstained by the world. See, that word holiness is used to describe God. And who are you made in the image of? God. And this is a tough one for us. Because we're in a culture, we're in a world today that doesn't just like to break the rules. We're in a culture that wants to make the rules. Right? Everyone's like, yeah, amen. (laughs) Make the rules. That's who we are and that's where we lean. But God is establishing his holiness. And it's nothing that we can work for. It's nothing that we can buy or earn. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's only through Jesus Christ and him alive in us, transforming us, redeeming us, and coming alive. And it's actually a sign of transformation. And holiness is always accompanied by humility. Never arrogance. It's through humility that we approach God. It's through humility that we receive Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, be in me. I recognize who I am. I need you in my life. My prayer for us as a community is that we would be known as a community that listens. Our ears to the ground. What's the neighbor next to me saying? What's my neighborhood saying? What's my city saying? Listening doesn't mean you agree. Listening means you care. And that we're not a people that rush in with judgment, but we're slow to speak and say, God, what would you speak? Maybe in this area, I need to keep listening. Or maybe in this area, you're calling me to speak. He didn't say don't act. He just said be slow, listen, ask, test. Allow your life to be filled with me. That anger wouldn't come in and destroy, but that my life, my implanted word would be in you. Amen. As we respond to his word today, if you have the listening guide, you can just pull it out and it has these questions in front of you. But I'd like for us to take some time just to reflect on this and ask ourselves, how are my listening skills? How do I listen to my friends? Am I good there? Do I need help there? How are my listening skills as it relates to my enemies, those that are not for my good? How do I do it listening? Am I quick to speak or slow to speak? Or am I afraid to speak? Sometimes we're afraid to speak. God's saying, speak and say it. And you're like, God, I'm scared. Ask yourself. And sometimes it's good to ask a good friend who has a good motive for your heart to go, am I slow to speak <laughs> or am I afraid to speak? And ask your life, are there areas of anger and hurt in your life that need attention? This is the work of God. When anger flares up, you need to say, God, what are you speaking to me now? What would you say to my life? Because God's motive is to heal and bring restoration to you and to your life. And then where does my life need help and strengthening in following God? And the way that I speak, is is my tongue out of control? Am I caring for others? Am I aware of those that are poor and marginalized? 
at work, in my home, on my street, in my city? Am I aware of the hurt that's taking place around the world today, around our nation today, and say, God, what would you have me do? And it all begins with listening, following him, and saying, God, I know that you would have holiness be in me. Pray the prayer of David when David said, Point out in me, God, anything that offends you. Just open your soul up and say, God, all right, start putting a post-it note on things you don't like. <laughs> Show me that work. If you want someone to pray with you today, you can turn to your neighbor for prayer, but go and talk to somebody. Engage, act. Maybe one of the fears you need to overcome today is just talking to somebody and saying, would you just pray for me in this? Let's take some time to respond. Lord, we've heard your word now. Let it guide us and lead us and show us the way so that we can walk with you in your name. Amen. Lord, I love that line. and It says, the orphans have now found their home. Lord, we found our home. And Lord, now use us to reach out to those who have no one. And Lord, that's going to take discernment in some areas. In every year, Lord, show us. Open our eyes. Show us what you would have us do. Make us good listeners, oh God, as we walk forward, acting out, living out, as people who are fully committed and devoted followers of Christ. Before you go, let's say this together of each other. This is Aaron's blessing. Let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.